me ask you a question. Um, what do you think is the difference between an obstacle and an obstruction? Any thoughts? Get around an obstacle. All right. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. That, that probably sets us on the right course right there. I'm taking no more answers. Very good. So, yeah, so I've got a couple things up here. Um, this is an obstacle right here. An obstacle is designed to really kind of get in your path and uh, cause you a little bit of trouble to get around it, right? Now, this is a track and field uh, hurdle. Um, you know, not a chance. But this is designed to make it a little bit tougher to run down the track, right? You've all seen the Olympics, 100-meter run, they run down, right? But 110-meter uh, hurdles, now that looks a little harder as they're running down and they try to jump over some of uh, these type of, of hurdles. This is, this is an obstacle, and it's put in your path. Many times, obstacles are very, very beneficial for us, are they not? I mean, they're helpful for us. It's like a test that you might have in school. A test is kind of an obstacle, right? You don't enjoy it, but you do the test, and, uh, and it's kind of good for you. Now, over here, this is from our kids' ministry program, and uh, this is an obstruction. You see, this is designed to go around the room in our kids' ministry program, and it's designed to tell the kids you can't go past this. Now, we recognize, <laughs> not jumping, I can't, not, oh, no, now give me a chair maybe. So, it's, it, I recognize this is kind of plastic and, you know, and, and kind of vinyl here, and it'd probably be pretty easy if a kid really went head, running headstrong into this to knock it over, but the design is to keep them in place, it, it, to not go past this. Whereas this obstacle here is designed for you to go past, it's just going to be a little bit tougher to get past it. Well, as we look at God's Word this morning, I wonder, does God use these type of things as well in our lives and in our Christian journey? And the answer really would be yes, He does. You see, we, we find this in the God's Word in the form of a couple words called test and temptation. Test and temptation. You see, you may have not thought about this, but Satan is just as interested in your Christian journey as God is, just as interested. And so what God does is God comes along in our lives at times, and he puts a few of these obstacles in our path, these tests in our path. Does God test us? Well, yes, we find out in the book of Genesis that God tested Abraham. So we know that God tests people. And so God sometimes put these obstacles in our path, these things that are not designed for us to get off the Christian path, but they're designed to make us stronger, you see, I know this morning, if I ran and jumped, I think I could get over one of these. I think I could, but maybe not. But if I went out and trained and worked hard for a while, I think I probably could run and get over one or two of these and, and make it down. Uh, you know, maybe if it was down a notch. So <laughs> could get over something like this. It's an obstacle. It's designed to make us stronger in our life. But then I think sometimes... What Satan will do is he will come along and he will put something like this in our Christian path. And what Satan is trying to do to us is he's trying to say, get off the Christian path entirely. Don't go any further down this path. It's an obstruction. And often what we find in the Bible is Satan does this in the form of temptation. You see, God uses things to test us. Satan uses it to tempt us to get us off the Christian path entirely. You see, if Satan can make the path look like it's blocked and we would just go a different route, then we're in trouble, right? 
we're in trouble. And he uses temptation often to do that. Now, what's really the difference between testing and temptation here? Well, not a whole lot. Um, they're about the same height. I could raise this a little bit and it'd be the same height. They're, they're made out of roughly the same material. This has a steel base, but there's some plastic parts and, and there's even little clips and stuff just the same as what's really the difference in these things? It's not, is it not really in their use, in their function? That's the difference in these. In fact, if you look in God's word, you're going to find in the original language that the word for test and tempt, guess what? It's even the same word in the Bible. It's even the same word that's used. So what's the difference? It's how it's being used. You see, God uses test for our benefit. Satan uses temptation for our destruction to get us off the path. Does God tempt? No, the Bible says in James that God does not tempt us. He's not tempted himself. So that's what we're kind of looking at this morning. So in your life, how do you know the difference and how do you use these things differently, a test or a temptation? And I think uh, some of the answer comes from the story of Paul. As I look at Paul's journey, if you want to talk about a guy who was tested or that, that maybe Satan tried to tempt, um, Paul's got it all going on in his story. He has all kinds of things that are thrown at him in the book of Acts. In fact, I'm not sure there's a character in the New Testament that goes on quite as many uh, of these adventures as the story of, of Paul in Acts, and then you can follow in the letters that uh, the video told us that he wrote as well. It's kind of like this. He would kind of be, Paul, a cross between like, you know, John McClain, you know, and, uh, and Billy Graham. And, you know, if you just threw all those, those guys together, you know, that's kind of Paul, you know, kind of the go in, shoot it up, um, but he's doing it for, for the kingdom of God, uh, at saying. So kind of throwing a little Bear Grylls survival tactics as well, and that's, you've kind of got it. You've kind of got this character of Paul. And so let's take a look at Paul, because I think as we look at him, there's a couple questions that will come about that we can answer that would help us in our testing and in our temptation as well. So let's jump into it. Uh, the very first thing that we learn from Paul, now I should say before I jump into that, that this story of Paul, it is pretty, pretty good length in God's word. And so for the opportunity this morning to go through everything you need to know about Paul, this is not going to happen this morning, all right? So, but we're going to look at just a few passages uh, on a few of these stories on these adventures of Paul. And so if you are intrigued at all by this character, then get in the book of Acts and just start reading the book of Acts all the way through. And, you, and so much of it is about his life. And after you've read the book of Acts, then jump into Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, and start to read these letters of Paul, and you'll see how they actually tie in. If you start with the letters and you don't know the background of Acts, the letters get a little confusing. So I encourage you, start in the book of Acts and then jump into the letters of Paul. So if you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 13, or if you grabbed one of the Bibles, and let's, let's start and take a look at Paul. Here's the first thing that we're going to learn this morning, that Paul dealt with criticism. He dealt with criticism. At Paphos, it, we find this, that, uh, uh, that he dealt with all kinds of, of criticism. You ever get criticized? No? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that criticism is found just about everywhere, right? 
just about anywhere you can find criticism. You may find it in your home. You may find it in, in, in your job. You find it out on the road driving to your job. Do you not? I mean, just go out here after church today, right? Go to the first light you want to come to. Now, don't go to the first light because you probably have a church person behind you, and <laughs> we don't want to tempt them. But go to the second light you've come to, right? And just decide when it turns green that you're going to sit there for two seconds, all right? And, and criticism, you'll face it right away uh, in the form of a honk, maybe a yell, sometimes even gestures So are thrown out right out there on the road. T- criticism is everywhere. And Paul faced this as well when he came into the city. So let's take a look at it. We're going to start in uh, chapter 13 and verse 6. So if you've got your Bible, take a look at there. So Paul, it says here, there was a certain man named Bar-Jesus, a Jew who had a, was a false prophet and practiced sorcery. That's the character, all right, that he comes upon here. Verse 7, he kept company with the governor of that province, an intelligent man named Sergius Paulus. The governor sent for uh, Barnabas and Saul since he wanted to hear God's word. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's Bar-Jesus' real name, or that the, the people understood his name to mean, they opposed him, trying to steer the governor away from the faith. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Paul or Saul, known as Paul, glared at Bar-Jesus and said, You are a deceiver and a trickster, you devil. You attack anything that is right. Will you never stop twisting the straight ways of the Lord into crooked paths? Listen, the Lord's power is set against you. You will be blind for a while, unable even to see daylight. At once, Bar-Jesus' eyes were darkened, and he began to grope around for someone to lead him around by the hand. When the governor saw that what had, had taken place, he came to believe, for he was astonished by the teaching about the Lord. You see, Paul and, and Barnabas, they're coming, and they're just coming to share about Jesus. That's what they did. They went from town to town, and they shared about Jesus. And most often, they actually went to the synagogue, which was the Jewish center, to share about Jesus. But they would have shared anywhere. So this particular occasion, when Paul and they are sent for to come and to talk to the governor, there's this false prophet, this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, who criticizes Paul, right? Speaks against Paul and the message that Paul has been sharing. Have you ever shared something and somebody criticized your message right away? Yeah, happens. We, we've all experienced it to some degree. I mean, we happen, we experience it all the way down to saying, you know, hey, I really, that was a great movie. And somebody else saying, no, that was stupid. Now, that's criticism right there, right? Well, Paul is facing this on a deep level here, right? As he's coming in to share that, he is being criticized by this person. Do you fold when you're criticized? Many of us do, right? We get a little bit of criticism and we fold. In fact, I would guess that the, uh, the quickness in your fold probably depends on, on the conviction of the thing you're talking about, right? If I'm talking about my kids and how much I love my kids and you criticize, you know, we're going to go toe-to-toe probably with that because I know my love, all right? But if I'm talking about something that I'm just not that big a conviction about and you criticize, you may sway me in a matter of two seconds or I may get off it right away. Not a chance Paul is getting off it. Not a chance. Here's what Paul says in response. I just read it to you. You are a deceiver and a trickster, you devil. 
You attack anything that is right. Will you never stop twisting the straight ways of the Lord into crooked paths? Listen, the Lord's power is set against you. You will be blind for a while, unable to see the daylight. Really, Paul has given him an old-fashioned tongue lashing here as he speaks to him. And then uh, somehow Paul has the ability to actually inflict him with blindness here. What's Paul really doing here with this bar Jesus? Well, there's something deep going on. You see, we only respond to criticism when something's significant to us, right? We only really respond and it gets at us when it's significant. If this morning you came in and you said, you know, hey, Tom, you know, you drunkard, I'd be like, you know, I've never drank a drop in my life. What, I, that criticism would do nothing to me at all, right? Um, I wouldn't know where you're coming from and, and we would just move on, right? But if you came in this morning and go, Tom, man, quit preaching this half gospel up there. Now that'd be a different story. That would hit me in a very different way. And we'd have, to, we'd have to stop and have a discussion about that form of criticism. You see, Paul is a preacher of God's word, right? But this Paul, he didn't grow up knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, he was the greatest persecutor of Jesus Christ. And so when, when Bar-Jesus started to critique Paul and to speak to the governor against Paul, that hits personal because Paul knows what that life is like. He knows what it really is like to be a, a, a false believer or, a, or a, 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 a religious believer who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. He knows all about that. And so what Bar-Jesus is saying is really he is describing Paul the way Paul used to be. And Paul He's got some issues with that. This strikes a deep, deep chord with Paul. And so he speaks very, very harshly to this false prophet, to this sorcerer he speaks into here. And then he inflicts him with blindness. Now you might read that and you might go, wow, that's, you know, that's kind of harsh, right? I mean, he speaks it and then he blinds the guy. That's pretty tough. I mean, just waking up in the middle of the night every once in a while and not being able to quite see to get to the restroom. Sheree recently moved this basket to a different area of the bedroom. And I think I went five or six nights in a row of hitting my, my toe or knee on that basket getting to the restroom. Um, darkness, that's, that's a big deal here. Why is Paul doing this? Just mean that day? Well, think about this act of Paul. Here's a guy who's cursing Paul, who's cursing the name of Jesus. And what does he do? He sends them on the exact same journey that Jesus sent Paul on. You remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he was knocked off his horse and what happened? Paul was blinded and he couldn't see for three days. He had to be led around for three days. He came out of that knowing Jesus as his Lord and committing his life to that. I think Paul here, though the Bible doesn't say it straight up, I think Paul is just trying to take Bar-Jesus on the exact same journey that he went on. He's trying to let him know, look, you got to find something. I'm going to afflict you the same way Christ afflicted me. you got to find this Christ. So how long will you keep perverting the paths here? And he takes him on this, on this journey. It's amazing what, what Paul does here. Here's the thing, though. I don't think Paul could have got through this criticism I don't think he could have made it through this. I certainly don't think he could have spoke like this or he couldn't have shown this, call it a compassionate act of, of sending Bar-Jesus on the same spiritual journey that he was on if he hadn't really had already made peace with his past, with who he used to be. 
Now, we know Paul made peace with it because in Romans 8, chapter 1, he says, look, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's a new person, and he made peace with his past. And because he had made peace with that, he's able to continue on, take this criticism, and keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really what's going on here. Now, this is just verbal criticism. It's going to get a whole lot worse for Paul. We're going to read in just, uh, in just a few minutes here. Here's a question for you. Have you made peace with your past? Who you used to be? What you used to do? Uh, that thing that somebody afflicted with you with in the past or said about you in the past? Or maybe it's the thing that you did to somebody else in the past. And then maybe you came to know Jesus as your Savior and he started to transform and change your life. Have you made peace with that? You see, because when Christ comes into a life, one of the things we preach over and over and talk about over and over is that you can be forgiven, that you can get rid of all the junk of the past. If you came in here, and I know many of of you did, came in here with some type of addiction in your life. Windover Hills has always just kind of attracted folks that have come out of that because they find peace and hope and rest right here. If you're one of that, guess what? Your past is forgiven. You've heard that message. Have you made peace with your past? Maybe it's trying to make peace of the past of some type of broken relationship, a divorce that you went through. Maybe you caused it or the other person caused it. I don't know what the situation was, but have you made peace with your past? We just believe being able to make peace comes through that relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul experienced it. So even though Paul was an incredible persecutor of Christians, probably uh, responsible for many Christians' death, he was able to walk in boldness and share this word. He was able to receive criticism, and who knows, some of it might have even been true of of the past Paul, but he had made peace with that. And so he could stay mission-minded and keep sharing with people about Jesus Christ. One of the things that keeps people, and probably we're no different right here, that keeps people from talking about Jesus is we say things like, well, you know, I used to do that, so who, who am I to say anything? You know, I used to live like that, so who would I be to share that there's a better way in life? That's not Paul's approach at all. Paul's approach is, I came to know Jesus as my Savior. I was forgiven. I was redeemed. I was given a mission and a purpose and now I'm going to be out here doing this. And if you criticize me, you know, you can criticize who I used to be, but who I am in Christ is not that person. And can I suggest to you that who you are in Christ is not that person. You're not that 16-year-old that probably did a bunch of silly, crazy, dumb things. You're not that college student that maybe pushed away from the faith. You know, you're the person that came back to Christ, that received him, that's walking in him, And you have a mission the same as Paul. In fact, dealing with criticism, it is mission central. It's mission critical. Dealing with criticism. Because the more that you latch on to the mission of sharing who Jesus is with other people, guess what? Buckle up. Because the criticism is going to keep on coming. It's going to keep on coming. And it's not that we're saying, hey, stand up on a bar stool and yell in the middle of the city and, well, you know, just, just try to find criticism. It just has a way of finding you when you live out the faith. Let's take a look at the second thing that Paul had to deal with. Paul dealt with success throughout Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. This is interesting that Paul dealt with success, and that became a problem. Do you ever think about that? Have you ever had success in your life, and that became a problem? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's what Paul is experiencing here. Let's take a look at, at the scripture here. It says here, uh, we're in Acts 13 here. It says, on the next Sabbath, almost everyone in the city of Antioch, where he was preaching, the city gathered to hear the Lord's word. That's pretty good if almost everyone in the city gathered, right? Um, I mean, you can go up to any of the small town in, in North Carolina, towns of, you know, four or 5,000. If you can get everybody out to hear the word, you know, that would be pretty amazing. That's what's going on in this town of Antioch. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were overcome with jealousy. They argued against what Paul was saying with slan- by slandering him. So here's the pattern. You've just read it. Paul goes into a city. He preaches the word, right? He shares about Jesus. And people are so amazed at what he says. And they're like, that's exactly what we need. And they give their lives over to Jesus. And there's all these people that become Christians in the town. And then some of the religious leaders, they're not very happy about this. They get jealous. They start to stir up the crowd or speak against Paul. And often they beat him up and the people that were with him. And Paul goes on to the next city. And these guys will follow and then they'll, they'll come and do the same thing. Take, take a look at chapter 14, verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke as they had before. As a result, a huge number of Greeks, or Jews and Greeks believed. However, the Jews who rejected the faith stirred up the Gentile, poisoning their minds against the brothers. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go to another town. Lots of converts, lots of people believe. And guess what happens? Then the criticism comes right in. They stir up the crowd, and Paul and Barnabas, they got to they gotta head out once again into another town. And so here's, in this story, uh, they, they come to this next town. Uh, it's Acts chapter 14, verse 11, and they're in Lystra now. And here's what, here's what goes down. Let me read it to you in verse 8 of chapter 14. In Lystra, there was a certain man who lacked strength in his legs. He had been crippled since birth and had never walked. Sitting there, he heard Paul speaking. Paul stared at him and saw that he believed he could be healed. Raising his voice, Paul said, stand up, straight on your feet. He jumped up and began to walk. You see, so after he left the one city, and it's a hundred miles to Lystra, right? And before the evil or angry party can catch up to them, Paul's in the town, sees this guy, needs to be healed, and heals this guy. Here's verse 11, though. Seeing what Paul had done, the crowd shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have, ta- have taken human form and come down to visit us. They refer to Barnabas as Zeus and to Paul as Hermes, since Paul was the main speaker. That's kind of an odd little story that's thrown in here. And again, remember, they're in the city now, and they're healing, and there's this, you know, there's this posse that's coming after them to traveling that hundred miles to come and, and do what they had done before, to beat up on Paul and be angry with him, right? And so Paul is in this town doing ministry, not hiding out, and so he heals this guy. And the response for the town is that they look at Paul and Barnabas and they think they're Greek gods. And this is a very interesting thing. I've done, I think, many good things in my life. I've never, you know, healed somebody like that, but I think I've done a lot of good things, and nobody's ever mistaken me for a Greek god before um, in my life. So, um, and they're, they're obviously mistaken here. What's going on? There's an interesting little background story here that was happening. You see, the story and the legend was that Zeus and Hermes came down from the heavens one time to the Lyconian people. This is this area here. And they came down from the heavens, and they were looking for hospitality, and they were 
testing the people in hospitality to see if anyone would welcome them in. So they dressed as poor paupers, and they went from house to house asking, would somebody take them in and give them a bed and, a, and a food? Testing, right? And house after house after house, they were rejected. And they finally come to this very last house on the last street, and this elderly couple of Philemon and Bacchus, they have poor. They have nothing. In fact, they probably look like the very beggars that are at their door. But they say, okay, we'll welcome you in and take our bed for the night. And they thought, we need to feed this poor couple that's at our door. Uh, But they didn't have anything, but they had a pet goose. And so looking at the goose and looking at the strangers and the goose and the strangers, they finally decided to cook their goose. And that was funny right there. Okay, that was good stuff. Let me start. The goose, or no, the people, the goose, they finally decided to cook their goose. Okay, thanks. Thanks. So they decided to go ahead and cook the goose, and they feed them, all right? And so while that's going on, the gods reveal themselves. Philemon and Bacchus are terrified that the gods are in their house thinking they had failed some test, but they hadn't. They had passed the test. And immediately, Zeus creates a kingdom where Philemon and Bacchus now rule that kingdom. This is the legend, and nobody believed it. It was just something they told and shared with their kids. But now, here is Paul and Barnabas in, in, you know, in human form, obviously, healing somebody that they had seen lame for many, many, many years. And even if the story may not be true, they weren't going to make that mistake twice. Because in the original story, do you know what happened after he created the new kingdom? He destroyed all the town, all the people that rejected him. They destroyed it. They weren't going to make that mistake again. And so they looked now to Paul and Barnabas as gods. This is Zeus, and this is Hermes, and they start to worship him. Now, this is not good for a Jewish person here. They don't want to be worshipped as a god, right? They know there is one true god. So Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Finally, about this time, the, the posse has caught up. And the thing about being a god is you can either be a really good, powerful god, or you can be a bad, powerful god. Those, those existed in these people's uh, mythology. And so as they came in, the, this, these people stirred the crowd once again, right? And as they stirred them once again, they got them so angry that they were bad, evil gods, and they would abuse their power that they actually end up stoning Paul. Let's take a look at, at the scripture here. It says in verse 19, Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived and won the crowds over. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. When the disciples surrounded him, he got up and entered the city again. Now here was the custom of stoning, is they would take him outside the town, and there would be a big pit, and they would stand at the edge of the pit, and whoever started this off would throw the bigger rock at them, and that bigger rock was supposed to knock them down into the pit. And then everybody was allowed to join in by picking up stones and throwing it from that point. And this was a death sentence, stoning. And so at the point where they thought Paul was dead and it was over, they took off. They went back to their town. The disciples, the believers came, and they looked, probably mourning, sad, maybe crying already over Paul. And then they notice he's alive. And what does Paul do? He gets back up, and the scripture says he enters back into the city. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, the other night, my dog, I was trying to get something out of her mouth, 
and she bit me in my thumb right there. This is the moment you can go, ah. You know, she bit me right there, and it hurt. It hurt. And I've been babying that thumb for like two weeks now, you know. Paul gets beat to the snot with stones, and he stands up, and he heads right back into the city. That makes no sense to me at all. What's going on here is Paul has had great success. Everywhere he goes, people believe. And every time he has success, there's somebody that's jealous on the success, and they don't like what's happening, and they take some matters into their own hands here. You see, really, uh, what's happening is Paul has been paying the price for this mission that he's on. He's been paying the price. Everywhere he goes, it's been hard to get a foot in the door, and once he gets a foot in the door and finds success, it's hard after the success. Now, you may know, when you look at a test like this, that it's hard, and maybe it's hard for many of us today, to jump over this, or to get to the point where we could jump over this, right? I mean, that's, that's hard to work. But we never always think about, well, what about when we get over the hurdle, and now we can jump over this? Well, in the track world, guess what that means? You've got to start competing against other people, right? And you've got to run down, and you've got to be faster than them jumping over this. There's other things that your success brings other struggles, other testing into your life. That's what Paul is experiencing as well. Have you ever got a promotion in at your work, and somebody that didn't get the promotion starts to think differently of you? <laughs> well, they must have just, you know, buttered up to the boss or something like that. Yeah, that happens with success sometimes. Are you willing to pay the price would be the question. Paying the price. You see, there's a price to be paid that Paul shows us here. Before you get to the test, there's a price to pay after you get to the test. If you are on a mission for Jesus Christ like Paul was on, there's always a price to be paid. No matter where you're at in the journey, there's a price to be paid. And so the question, the second question for you this morning, when you look at these two things, to know what is a test of your faith and where is Satan just tempting you to get off the Christian path, the question would be, are you willing to pay the price? Because the Christian life often can be a struggle. The mission of Jesus Christ can be a struggle. To share him with other people. Just to serve people can be a struggle. I would love to tell you that all the people we've served over the three years that I've been here, I mean people that we've like given huge amounts of money or food or help to, I would love to tell you they're all sitting here in the church, you know, being fed in God's word every week. But it's not the case. In fact, there's a very, very small percentage that, that hooks on and learns more about Christ. There's a price to pay sometime. Do we quit doing it because of that? We're saying, no way we wouldn't quit doing it. There's a price to pay. And sometimes when we come up against something like this and we're thinking, I don't, you know, don't want to pay the price, and we start to get off the Christian path, the obstacle becomes obstruction and we start to get off. And we quit the mission. And so Paul is, is asking us, I think, or comes from Paul, is are we willing to pay the price that comes with this? I put in there this little quote, the champions play through pain. A little sports metaphor for you, but you understand. Champions Philippi. This is an interesting story if you flip over to Acts chapter 16. He faces opposition here. You see, here's what happens. Paul 